0: Greyhound Leader Trap One, over. Trap One, we read very Leader,
1: over. Welcome to the Trap One Podcast, I'm Mark. I'm Simon. And I'm James. Thanks very much for joining me guys. That's well, okay. You're very welcome. So, the web planet is out on vinyl today, uh, so that's all the excuse I need to round up a couple more Doctor Who fans and have a chat about the episode. <laughs> Uh, so, what are you guys' memories of, of seeing this for the first time? Is it one that you've uh, enjoyed over the years, or? Um,
0: well, yeah. I first I first saw it on DVD. Um, I wasn't completely taken with it, to be honest, with you, on first viewing. I'll be honest; um, it's one I left right to last. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not up there with my absolute favourites. It's it's no Curse of Fenric. In, in my opinion, but that's that's just my humble opinion. Mm. Um,
2: And I suppose I've got a bit of a guilty confession because Simon and I got together to talk about this the other day and I said, oh yeah, I've got it on DVD and I'm sure I've seen it before and the DVD still had the cellophane on it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So I was kind of like, I know the story. I'm sure I have seen it at some point. But uh, it certainly was the first time I, I, I can recall sitting down and watching that whole
1: thing uh, just recently. Oh, that's great. So we've got some good different perspectives there then. Uh, I think I saw it in UK Gold, first of all. Uh, so that was like way back, like early 90s, I suppose. Mm. I was going to say 90s, yeah. Mm. And then I think when I was at university, it had a re- like a BBC Two late night repeat
2: that's uh, where I've not seen it. I'm sure I have seen it and I bought the DVD, but I I was convinced I had seen the story before.
1: Yeah, I, I just remember one night at university, I, I was flicking through the channels and it came on and I was like, oh great, the web planet. And um, my flatmate came in and I was going to hurriedly turn it over. He said, <laughs> no, no, he said, no, no, we'll watch it. And I think it was because it was black and white and he thought it would be more sort of um, uh, kind of meaningful and uh, you know, kind of a little bit uh, you know, worthy. Yeah, a bit worthy because it was in black and white, and then we watched it, and there's the the guys just as butterflies running around, and the the ant runs into the camera and stuff. And I think it quickly uh, dispelled his illusion. But the bit I really remember was um, the bit where Ian and I want to say Vrestin. I'm not really good on all the the different names yeah. of the monoptera. I'm not really that clear on them. Yeah, I think it's Vrestin. I think you're right. Yeah. They're, they're having the sort of um, uh, the top of a crater or something, and they're, they're having a conversation, um, just kind of having a rest. And, and Ian's sort of lying on his back, and um, we're both quite taken with the idea that it looked quite post coital <laughs> so with a giant moss, uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I can imagine this being viewed late at night, I really can, um, kind of. One of those weird things that you catch when you when you're falling asleep on the sofa, and one like one of those late night Channel Four things, and then you wake up in the morning, you think, "Did I really watch that? What was that <laughs> thing called?" And you, one of those things that you never find out what it what it's called, what it was. And yeah, yeah, because the whole
2: thing is dreamlike, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of nineteen sort of fifties B movie in yeah. a way. And I know what you mean, because I've watched some of those movies late at night, and then wake up in the morning going, what did I actually watch last night? And it, <laughs> it, it's got that sort of, you know, the the giant insects and thing, um, the uh, special effects as well, where I, I actually wrote down on my notes, someone smeared Vaseline over the lens, and then I later read that actually it was a special filter that they put onto it. So it was that kind of, like you say, mm. dreamlike quality, but... Uh, I felt it sort of harked back to some very cheesy B movies from the nineteen fifties. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, it's like kind of bordering
0: on the surreal. I mean, mm. how fantastic would it have been if, uh, like, kind of it, it got a bit more Salvador Dali? I'm sure there, there, there were some films in the sixties that Salvador Dali did the sets, um, did the design for, and somebody out there in the internet will say will correct me on this and tell me exactly (laughs) which film it was but um, yeah, it would have been nice if they were were going to go down that path, to go even further down that path Mm. that's just my opinion Mm.
1: Yeah I think um, it's probably the the story where they go to the most effort to make it seem like an alien atmosphere, even to the extent they can't just step out of the TARDIS and breathe normally, that the air's thin, they've got the, the atmospheric density jackets they say the the treatment of the lens to make the atmosphere seem different how echoey it is when they first arrive uh they've really gone some lengths there that, that you don't get in many doctor who stories yeah well, the um, the ambition is absolutely mm.
2: astounding and this is one of the things that i absolutely love about doctor who is that
0: it never lets money or time step in the way of its ambition and you, we constantly reading things like Doctor Who magazine that, um, a store about stories being turned down saying they couldn't possibly do XYZ on their budget and considering what they regularly did on their budget and still do on a small budget because nowadays it's just a fraction of that of the Game of Thrones it's mm-hmm. kind of like one or two percenters of what that's produced on um, it makes me wonder what the Stories that are turned down actually consisted of because if they could do this on top and tape back in the day, um, and and realise it so well as well, you know, and and like go full force with it, then um, yeah, it's it's the, the ambition it's only got to be applauded. Yeah, see, it's the
2: only story um, that doesn't have any other humanoid. Like characters other than the TARDIS crew, everybody else is a is an is an Mm -hmm. insect, Mm -hmm. Um, and they haven't even done that in modern. Who with CGI and you know the advancements of of uh, you know costumes, it's the first first and only one of its type. And that goes back to what you were just saying, Simon, about the the ambition of this episode was massive. It's totally different to things that had happened. That had come before it and after. Well, nowadays, I think the um, Zarbi would be um,
0: CGI. would be it? CGI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And um, the Monoptera, um, um, I should imagine, would be like, oh, what's the scientist called from Utopia? The, the blue one. Oh, uh, um, Chanto. Yeah. Chanto. Yeah. Chanto. Yeah. That's it. And um, and they and I imagine the minotaur will be will be more like she was, um, mm. but um,
2: absolutely. Um, I, he did bring to mind a quote by Russell C. Davies, who
0: um, I'm pretty sure it was him, and he said um, that you got to have uh, the human identification person in there, aside mm. and aside from the TARDIS crew, um, and for. And I completely get what he means, because the, this is the only story, as you said, that, where that isn't the case. Um, and I think, um, you know, the ambition aside and the great sets and the great costumes and, the, and everything like that, um, I think that the story kind of suffers with um, just having the TARDIS crew as the only humans or humanoids, mm-hmm. and then you have the insects and there's no in-between. There's no crashed airship, there's no colony trying to survive, yeah. mm-hmm. caught between these great big moths and these great big ants.
2: It's just
0: the great big moths and the great big ants.
2: So, and then you've got the, uh, the larvae thing. Oh, the larvae like guns, the, yeah. The, that looks a bit like a shredder is stuck on legs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the costumes in this, and um, they are—I would say—the greatest strength, but also the greatest weakness in the uh, in the episode. But the lava gun—I just when I first saw it, I went, "What is that?" Yeah. And a uh, hairbrush. It yeah. does, it looks, I was like, "It's a paper shredder. It's got to be." But um, yeah, it's an interesting one.
1: Um, but uh, yeah, and it's supposed to be the pupa of the zombie, and you just yeah. can't even envisage the, the transformation between the two, can you? It's uh, like what, yeah. what happened, and, it, to and it? it's
2: acid laser on it, yeah, which you know, the adult version somehow doesn't have, it yeah. just you know, stumbles around. Um, it's, it's quite strange. <laughs> I'd love to see
0: um, I'd love to see somebody's modern take on this. All these uh, people who on Twitter and uh, and on YouTube and they and they re render all these uh, old tardises and things like that and mm. and do modern takes on classic Doctor Who. I'd love to see somebody's take on this. I don't think I've ever seen anything from the Web Planet like that. Just kind of re- just faithful recreations. So I'd quite like yeah. to see somebody uh, updating it and perhaps that mutation from larvae to to zombie, as you say.
1: <laughs> and I think what you're saying about the Russell T. Davies thing, because what you said was something like nobody's interested in the uh, the Zog monster threatening the Zogs That's... on the planet Zog or something, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. What yeah. you get now is, um, like with the Silurians, you would get the more humanised. I think yeah. there's the point you're making like with Chantho as well. Um, yeah. They'd have to be more identifiable like that, wouldn't they? You wouldn't get um, you're like a Zabi that's just you know, kind of a, a blank sort of face. And uh, even the, uh, the, the Monoptera, they're not that expressive because they've got those sort of furry cowls mm. and things. And you wouldn't have those really mannered arm gestures for communication because you'd have to make them much more... Uh, much more human-like, um, and that's another way of making them very exotic, isn't it? Those uh, the way they, they communicate, which I suppose is like insects. Uh, you know, they communicate by dance, don't they? Uh, yes. So, yeah. so
2: they, they actually brought in a choreographer to to do the the, the movements, so that they weren't um, human-like. You know, it, they actually hired someone in to, to to take them through what their movement should be like, and it does look odd uh, it, it,
0: it doesn't mm. look like it's a natural movement at mm. all um yeah that was uh, Rosalind de winter and she was the one yeah. who played dressed mm. and she's the one who um who did all the choreography so you know like kind of to make it alien and on the um, extras on the DVD uh, which delved into in preparation for this and the and the said that the works hard to to make it to make it more alien and they succeeded.
1: Because <laughs> yeah. even the speech patterns of the monoptera are quite different, and the way they pronounce names, like instead of Ian, they sort of say like Heron or something, don't they?
0: Yeah, to, to kind of something that they can uh, associate with. Mm. Um, I really like the
2: um, the underground ones. Is it the optera? Yeah. optra I, I, we, that was the, the main,
0: my main discovery on buying the DVD, having never seen this, read about it. It's like one of those things that you read about in Doctor Who for years before you see it. I had no idea they existed, (laughs) honestly. So it was, I, it was an old, it was a new old monster, if you see Mm. what I mean. And
2: I love them. They're grunting speech, they're hopping about, (laughs) they're, Big floppy yeah. bits on their faces. I was going to say yeah. that there, there are multiple arms that do yeah. <laughs> <in>.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> they look like a toy as well, don't they? like a foam toy that, that a kid. Yeah. Would have. But the thing that occurred to me with them is they would be great for kids to emulate in the playground. The way the the way they yes. sort of pop around and the way they talk and that kind of thing. It's it seems like it's geared towards that a little bit.
0: Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that they were a kind of a late addition. Um, mm. On the on uh, as I say on the extras on the DVD and uh, and the powers that be came in said you know and said, what are these guys doing and they said oh yeah yeah we just added them in because they, they, they needed that extra thread in the story that was clearly missing.
1: Yeah, I think yeah he wasn't in the original script and the director and script editor I think came up with them between them. Yeah, um, yeah. leads to that incredibly gruesome moment though where when they're digging through the wall. And the, oh. the assistants come in and one of them just immediately plugs the gap with their head to, um <laughs> to save the others and then the, the camera lingers on the corpse for far too long, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean how horrible is that? So you imagine you were a kid in the sixties and you're watching this and you love these hopping mad weird underground aliens and they're quite cute. And then one dies horribly, and it just stays there, and this mm-hmm. long lingering looks from Ian unto and, and, and this corpse with its that's dead, with his head stuck in a wall.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other bit as well, when when they kill one of the um, larvae guns, and they uh, yes. one of the, I think one of the operators lifts it up and sort of crushes it against the wall. Uh, and it's, there's no gore or anything but like everybody stood on a bug at some point and you can just kind of you get that and the reactions I think from Barbara and other people uh, that like this is a pretty gruesome like squashing it against the wall and crunching it
2: because one of them is killed in front of Barbara aren't they earlier on as
1: well. <laughs> yeah.
2: This, there is, there are some quite like you say they're not gruesome but there's quite a, quite a few deaths, and they're quite, you know, obvious. They they happen in front of the characters. Yeah, um, see them react to that. It's quite,
1: yeah. And the monoptera that has its wings bitten off by the zombie as well it, is. Uh, oh, that's horrible, isn't yeah. it? it? And it, it's, but you know, it's like um, like
0: a, a a kid, a horrible kid, you know, kind of plucking mm. the. The, the wings from a butterfly it's
2: oh but then you do get to see some of them fly around later on in the story and it's i was a bit sort of oh that's a bit panto it's kind of just like, <laughs> someone flew in from the site but again you know back back at the time it probably would have been you know quite a good effect um, yeah you don't you don't see that often yeah, it's
0: um, um, you. They would have viewed it. Um, I'm thinking on a smaller screen and grainy, mm. black and white, and you know, and you know, how wonderful if you're a little kid and you've seen these man moths flying around, and it, it looks like quite fast cuts. I'm, I'm guessing it would be multi use. Yeah. um, but it looks. It, I thought that was actually really fast, really quick cuts for, mm. for the time, because considering that. It was for the majority of that era, for obvious reasons. It, there were quite long scenes, and they're all from you know, from mm. from the same camera, you know. And it's so you know, it's I, I thought they overcame the the ob- obvious obstacles
2: mm. really, really quite well. So yeah, And I think from from what I was reading, there was quite a lot of obstacles, particularly timing. There was quite a lot of issues mm. with having to overrun um, and and it's kind of it's kind of strange because I, when I was watching it the first time when I made a few notes and I was like oh I wasn't quite sure about one or two moments and then I went away and looked them up afterwards and the, there are actual errors which they've had to leave in because they ran out of time yeah. for filming so um, the doctor, so William Hartnell fluffs a couple of his lines mm. um, but you know at that point, I think that was happening more, more and more. But there's things like one of the Zarbi, it just walks into the camera at one yeah. point <laughs> in episode three. And, and you hear it sort of like make a noise as it falls on the floor, the costume hits the floor. Uh, there's another point which I actually went back to watch where the point where Ian goes into the rock fall, I think right. it's episode four. Where all the um, the dust falls on him, um, and you see this happen, and you can hear someone laughing, someone, <laughs> someone in the background is laughing. Like, I don't know whether it's him or it's production team or someone's just having a giggle in the background. And This <laughs> sounds really odd. <laughs> so there's yeah, there's a few things that I think the ambition, that the story got, you know, was 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 probably more than the budget or the time allowed in order to do it. But I think, yeah, a programme like Doctor Who is always making, you know, trying new things, taking those risks. And I think in this case, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of of things that they're trying for the, for the first time. Mm. Absolutely. I, I think you, I think you're completely right
0: there. And it's just, they're really, really pushing the boat out with this. Um, uh, but, and I keep thinking back to an adventure in space and time. The mm. the um kind of I'll keep on to say biopic, but it's not it, but the drama about the early days. Um, and there was and there's one short scene in it about um I think it was Verity Lambert having a NAS with William Partnell about the about possibility of leaving, yeah. And in the
1: back, and, then, and there's this miniature with a fag in his mouth, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I just thought oh yeah yeah the web planet of course yeah um I read I read on the TARDIS wiki page that um it was at this point that William Russell decided to leave
2: yeah I read that um and um there's an episode where um Jacqueline is not in it isn't she yeah took Mm. took a week's holiday and I know she was unhappy with being excluded from the, the credits. Um, oh, yeah, it seems a bit mean, that, doesn't it? Mm.
0: Yeah. What do you think of William Hartnell in this episode?
2: I, I quite like him. This, 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 there's two things that stand out for me with with him in this episode, in this um, serial. One is where he says I'll bring the hairdryer thing down, which I don't know whether that's a line or I just thought you know when he was when he was uh, communicating uh, with the uh, with the alien he just goes oh bring bring down the hairdryer thing <laughs> just, so either he's forgotten what it's called or it's just just a uh, which I really loved uh, and then the other thing I wrote down here and uh, and this is a completely innocent comment that I've written down here is the doctor's ring. <laughs> 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 which which I didn't... I, 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 was just, I was like, suddenly he's got this ring that somehow operates the doors, but then yeah. I understand that he's also in the Dalek's master plan. It can fix the TARDIS um, doors, so it can repair them at the lock. Yeah. Um, and I just suddenly thought, what... Where's this gone? <laughs> I've yeah. like, not seen that again after, you know, after those two episodes. But I thought that was quite a, a nifty little piece of kit. And the other time I've, I've seen that in Doctor Who was in the comic strip in Doctor
0: Who magazine during the 90s. And uh, there was this lovely one-off comic strip about um, um, trees, and uh, the TARDIS starts going haywire inside, and this tree grows in the console room. Um, And it all turns out to be the uh, fault that um, during the first regeneration, the the ring had dropped into the Mm -hmm. console, and the TARDIS was reacting badly, saying, you know, there's something, something wrong here. Um, that's the only other time I've seen that and um, the only uh, other thing is that I can think of like with um, The Doctor's Ring again um, is when Peter Capaldi regenerates yeah. into Jodie Whittaker Drops and he pulls off. off a finger so you know I'd, I'd love to see a, a, a Jodie Whittaker version of that comic strip where it happens again because
1: yeah. the, the ring's somewhere in the workings of the TARDIS <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's what uh, went wrong with the TARDIS when she was then expelled from it at the at the end of maybe episode. Uh, yeah, but mm-hmm. suppose yeah. it's really the Sonic Screwdriver replaced that, hasn't it? In terms of giving yeah, the Doctor yeah. a portable device that can kind of open doors and, and, and manipulate things like that. Uh, but yeah, in the Dalek Master Plan, they're locked out of the TARDIS, and he I think it reflects the sun's rays using the ring, mm-hmm. and, and it allows him to open it. Yeah, it's, um, the Doctor's always needed some sort of gadget because he is is quite the gadget man, isn't
2: he? The the bit I liked with William Hartnell in this story was um, there was when the Zabi, he he sees the Zabi
0: have got the TARDIS in their kind of lair thing, Mm. and he says, "Who's beating my TARDIS? Come on, which of you ants was it? (laughs) And I I, I really expected him to say, I'll tell you, Dad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) he <laughs> was proper annoyed and I just thought I can imagine you as, as you know like being you know getting annoyed with the kids next door yeah like with the, <laughs> the ball going their, their football going through his um, he is um, into his garden and destroying his greenhouse yeah.
1: <laughs> I think I feel like yeah early on in the episode he's, he's like you say he's flubbing lines and things and when he identifies that they're on the planet Vortis Ian says, which galaxy is, in that, is that in Doctor? Which feels like that's uh, William Russell feeding in the lion. Um, it seems like an odd thing for Ian to ask otherwise. Uh, I imagine the yeah. original line was the Doctor saying, oh, it's Vortis in the, in the Aesop galaxy. Uh, but then I feel like once he's inside the, the carcinome and he's facing off with the animus, albeit through the hairdryer, <laughs> uh, it seems much more in control, and it, it, it's quite doctory, isn't it? Saying stand, standing up to, especially such a powerful enemy like that, and um, trying to fool them and trick them. So yeah, I you, can really, good, you can really
0: believe him when he's
1: doing that. That is, he, William Hartnell had loads of doctor moments. You know, there's mm. always each doctor's always got their one iconic speech, or
0: you know, the, the one bit where they stand tall and face off against this menace that's been horrible to the locals or whatever. and But he had loads of those. It, mm. was, it was absolutely brilliant. And I can completely see why um, the younger generation just getting into Doctor Who now absolutely love William Harnell.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, it's amazing that we're still even talking um, about um, his time on a shonky old sci-fi show all these years later. <laughs>
1: yeah. Definitely, I think watching it actually um, again because it's a good few years probably when the DVD first came out which is probably 10 or 11 years ago I watched it Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of remembered them arriving and then meeting the Zabi and meeting the Monoptera but there's quite a lot of stuff early on where it's just really creepy and mysterious you've got the Doctor and Ian exploring the planet and it's echoey and weird and there's the acid pool and then inside the TARDIS which is normally where they're safe the the TARDIS spinning round and Yeah the um,
2: console spins round, doesn't it, at one point. It's
1: it's, it's weird and creepy, yeah. And and Barbara being controlled by the uh the, the bracelet thing um on her arm. Mm-hmm. It's there's, there's some really weird, unsettling stuff early on. And how really,
0: fantastic
1: is she in that bit. Her yeah. acting
0: and she's on her own, on her set and uh Jacqueline Hill is never less than believable. Mm. She is wonderful because she she I always think as Barbara as someone you could potentially know. You know, um and she's just absolutely fantastic in yeah. that scene, I think. She I mean it's it, it kind of the whole thing reminded me at the beginning of the Mind Robber, where you got this weird um you got this uh, weird environment outside the TARDIS and there's and this, and their their control is being slowly taken from the TARDIS crew.
1: Mm, definitely, I, I think um, her and William Russell being the ones who are more out and about on the planet, they mm. make they they exaggerate uh, the the weirdness of the other aliens and stuff because they are so down to earth and pragmatic. Yes. Whereas uh, the Doctor and Vicky are, uh, well, Vicky's a human, but she's from the future and. And that's a nice little scene, I thought, with her and Barbara early on in the TARDIS when they talk about the difference between their schooling. Yeah. So Vicky's complaining yeah. about, oh, to have after an hour a week and uh, you had to study medicine at primary school and all this kind of stuff. But little bits like that just remind you that she isn't, uh, you know, another human companion from Contemporary Earth.
2: Yeah. Although, although I will say there's something about that scene because I'm sure uh, Vicky asks for... Um, doesn't she ask for something, something to help her sleep, a sedative? And Barbara gives her an aspirin.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't it's spot that, sense. but you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is
2: like well, I think there might be something to be said for an hour or a week in front of a computer. <laughs> 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 um, also, um, well,
0: what, how do you think? I was I was watching it, thinking, how would this be different from uh, Susan and Barbara having that having that conversation? Would it be any different to her and Vicky? Do you think? Hmm, that's a good question. Because I think I think of Vicky is a completely different character, and um, but you know, just occasionally, and I, and I just and, and I do wonder, you know, it's like um, if. Um, the, is she just a Susan substitutes at times when they don't know what to do with it? When, but, okay, you know, like, uh, on a lot of times she, she really, really does have her own personality. And a lot of that is down to the actress. I think, you yeah. know, I think she was absolutely wonderful in the role. But I was thinking a lot about Susan during that, um,
1: during that exchange. She's braver, isn't she, Vicky, I think. Uh, Susan was a lot more timid and... Yeah, grandfather (laughs) stuff like that. I think he's got a lot more pluck, and uh, she kind of get seems to get involved a bit more. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Speaking of which, um, the pacing, that slow exploration, I love um, uh, older Doctor Who because um, because the slow exploration of new planets and new environments and working things out, reasoning like there's no time for that now because it's all breathless pace and mm. it's quite hard you know and it's quite hard to catch up and before you know it you're in absolute danger but back then they had the time to say oh where are be? what well, is that water is that sulfuric acid is that you know is that rock actually alive um, and it, it remind, kind of reminded me of the of part one of the Ark in Space, which is one of my favorite episodes. Mm. Because of, and it was just the regulars fathoming out where well, the God. hell they are yeah. and why you know and when they are as well. Um but the the problem is is that the part I think part one, the whole story suffers for me for part one because even though it has that slow exploration thing, which I loved, it's kind of devoid of incident, really. I know that there's Barbara and the TARDIS being slowly controlled and uh, there's the thing with the tie and the acid pull, but it doesn't quite really hit the heights of other stories, such as Ark in Space, which do it just that kind of bit snappier. Mm. For example, The Crusade. Is it The Crusade 6 immediately after this story? I'm pretty sure it is. Um, or it's, but in in the first episode of that, um, immediate like the the TARDIS arrives and immediately they're in danger in the forest and these two opposing factions. But in this, it just kind of takes a bit too much time for my liking. It just it's a bit. I think the ambition really isn't met. With, it's kind of a, a ploddy, a ploddy pace that could have just kind of been zapped up a bit with the addition of one or two others, or, um you know a bit of jeopardy in it really I just like the jeopardy
1: yeah they go from there for unsettling don't they than, than immediate danger early on yeah yeah, yeah.
2: it's it's interesting though because it is the highest viewed episode, episode one
1: mm. so the highest 60s episode yeah up with until the, the Ark in Space I think it oh. was the highest rated one yeah yeah. yeah, 13 million viewers.
2: Mm. Yeah. But uh, I, I wrote down exactly the same as what you've just said, uh, Simon. I, I put slow paced. There's no, there's no sense of urgency about it, which is fine, mm-hmm. but there's also no sense of threat. It, yeah. It's kind of, here they all are, bumbling around. Yes, there's, there's acid pools and, you know, a bit of weirdness going on, but it's not until the sort of last moment where... You hear the Tardis start to dematerialise, and the doctor's going, "What's what's happening?" That that's really the sort of like first action that that actually has happened in the 20, <laughs> 25 minutes, and and you're kind of left wondering what the other time was was taken up with, yeah. you know, um, long scenes in the Tardis where they're talk, talking about education and 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 you know looking for medicine and things like that, and it. it you in today's who that would never happen because you've got forty five minutes to yeah. build up, you know, to well, get through a story, and that's you know, twenty-five minutes of domesticness, yeah. if you like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh was it uh the director Richard Martin also did the chase mm-hmm. and in
0: that the in the in for the first bit of the chase, well, um they're they're kind of exploring Aridius. Um Kind of juxtaposed with that, the Daleks are, sense- are closing in on them. So you got this sense of jeopardy, where the Daleks are closing in on them, but the TARDIS crew don't know this and they're just clowning around, looking at gins and stuff like that, and you know, and laughing about um, myths and castles and things like that. Because, but that cutaway to the Daleks is the jeopardy. I mean, we could easily have had a spooky voice telling the Zavi to you know to go and investigate the newcomers and that would at least have added um, kind of a little bit of tension to this and you know because and then we'd be, be watching the TARDIS crew blundering around and saying oh that pool's made of acid it's not water and what have you done with my mm. old school tiny thinking get out of there stop talking rubbish and get out of there because that at least would that that would raise the heart rate a little bit
1: yeah, you just got that really odd shot of the Zabi behind the pillar of rock, haven't you, that's um, watching them as if like they wouldn't have spotted it. Because you can see it moving around in the background when they're, when they're talking there as well. Mm. Um, and given how noisy they are the whole rest of the time, it was amazing it kept quiet for long enough to spy on them <laughs> from behind that rock as it was, I thought.
2: And there's, there's, there's a scene right at the beginning, which is obviously the sort of tail end of the previous episode, where... The doctor and Ian are talking about how they, you know, they, the, the TARDIS has been captured in that, that moment, and, and it sounds like someone's hoovering. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the episode a couple of times, just that one scene, it sounds like the BBC cleaner is in the background hoovering <laughs> the set, and you don't hear it for the rest of the episode. It's just really odd.
0: Maybe it's one of the larvae guns. Maybe
2: one of the larvae guns is actually a Hoover as well. Yeah. It's just really, it's really bizarre. I was trying to think of what it because some, you know, sometimes you get a Tardis hum and things like that, and I was mm. like, oh, it's a, it's a Hoover <laughs> or a hairdryer, or so you know, someone's doing something electrical. Yeah. So it's quite,
1: it's quite bizarre. Oh, this era where the Tardis interior changes all the time as well, and now it's got this little sort of nook full of. Gadgets yeah. and, and bits and pieces here, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, yeah, and
0: it just, just so happens to insects. be there we, we, with these, you know, like, oh, the, this nooks appeared with yeah. the scientific equipment and I just so happen to have my ring
2: to open the doors. Mm. <laughs> uh, Simon, just just going back to a point you made about the next episode was the crusade. Mm. But I, the, this is one of the facts that I, I wrote down when I was, was looking at this. Um, there's two versions of episode six. And one says the Crusade as the next episode. Um, and the other one says the Space Museum. Because oh. they um, were selling it to Arab countries. And they took the Crusade episode out. Oh. So they actually have two versions.
0: Rice did not know that. That's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I've never heard that one before makes sense though Yeah. the other thing I was thinking about was the way it feels quite progressive uh, you've got one of the leaders of the Monoptera is a female you've mm. got Barbara is the one that comes up with the tactics for the battle um, and then the Animus as well has a female voice um, Yeah. I think uh, it's a point I made during Galaxy 4 as well where you've got uh, Marga um, being, a, you know, being the villain of the piece as well when Iron Man, th- when they were writing Iron Man 3, they wanted a female villain in it and the studio wouldn't let them. Uh, which is, is that like, right? Yeah. Really? Which yeah. is like in the 2010s and, you know, in the 60s, because, the, uh, you know, you've got Galaxy 4s, you know, not long after this, you've got the Web Planet. Feels much more progressive. I guess you've got Verity Lambert at the helm. Um, mm, yeah. Probably, you know, you, you're getting more of this stuff. Um, but particularly occurred to me with Barbara being the one that was was planning the battle uh, rather than ian who you know sort of you know does all the fighting in the crusades and the the um, aztecs and things like that well this is the thing you know is people say that um
0: that say sometimes say that leela or ace or whoever were, were the first gung-ho non-screaming female companions that's not true, really, because I mean, look at Barbara, she's absolutely amazing, and she does it all in the best cardigans as well. <laughs> <laughs> <Barbara's> <laughs> cardigans, um, but no, she's she's they, she's con they're constantly figuring it out all the way through, and she has damn good reasoning, and she's a clever lady. Mm. Look at her in the Aztecs, she's marvelous. I yes. love the Aztecs, yeah. and it's simply because of her. And she, and she sticks to her guns. And the and the doctors saying you can't rewrite history, not one line. How dare you? You don't know what you're doing. And she says, "No, you know, I'm I'm your taxer now. I'm going to do what I like." She has proper agency, yeah. and that you're right. It is really progressive, ahead of
1: its time. Mm. Definitely. I arguably more so than, than later Doctor Who really. Um, probably probably once Verity yeah. left actually. It probably probably changes a little bit then. Yeah, and it
0: comes and Doctor Who comes comes under kind of the, the more patriarchal view, I would have thought. Don't know for sure of you know, like kind of male led and everything like that. And it's yeah. um yeah, it's I, I can I can see the why there would be a connection with Verity Lambert being at the helm and having these um, strong female figures um, especially with regards to Barbara as well mm.
2: yeah. What were your um, what were your thoughts on the um, Animus itself?
1: It's a mm. very, very strange kind of esoteric threat isn't it you never find out where it came from whether it was um, an alien to that planet or whether it it sort of just became dominant I thought it was a really great line that I liked when the monoptera are talking about um, how it thought itself into the crannies of Vortis. Like yeah,
2: like it, had, it roamed there. It, it sounded like it was it was something that had festered and manifested itself on yeah. the actual planet.
1: Yeah, because was... they call it the carcinome, don't they? Which you know is kind of. Um, you know, makes it sound like a cancer sort of thing. Uh, yeah. that, that it is something that has, has grown and grown, and, and it's because it's ruined the. It's, it's turned the water to acid, hasn't it? And, and stopped the yeah. crops growing and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like it's just some malignant growth on the on the planet. Because um, uh, the Monoptera say talk about that. That that's when their recorded history start as well started as well. Mm. Um, so before that, they just had this idyllic existence of flying around and. Um, worshipping the light, um, but then that sort of changed everything for them, and, and that's when they started recording history and taking things a bit more seriously. And they, and they all went to live on a, another planet or a moon or something, didn't they? Yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah, then they, they left because the zombie had been controlled mm-hmm. and, and basically had driven them off. I love the thought of them in Oxford worshipping the light. I can just imagine this great big bulb. <laughs> and I'm yeah. <them> all flying <laughs> going, bumping into it going oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I
0: looked into um, the because um, I love the derivation of words where words come from and I looked into it um, and butterflies and moths apparently are from the order of lepidoptera right. so I did wonder if Menoptera comes from men plus optera you know men mm. man moth basically uh, and I thought uh, I was quite clever of you know the the writer Bill Strutton. I thought that was quite interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah that would make sense. Yeah. yeah and definitely.
0: apparently, isop is is a shrub found near the Caspian Sea. Ah.
1: Because right. <laughs> uh, he's Australian, um, Bill Strutton. Um, yeah. One of the things I read about was part of the inspiration for this story was uh, when he was a boy, he'd seen two bull ants fighting. And when he tried to intervene, um, one of them bit him. Um, right. I guess probably kind of left him with a lasting, you know, kind of fear or you know mm-hmm. trepidation about ants, and that that was part of his uh, part of his inspiration. Um, and Rosalind De Winter also Australian, so quite a heavy anti- antipodean influence.
0: Yeah, um, I I read up on Bill Strussen that um, uh, that he learned to write as a Prisoner of a prisoner of war in World War Two. Yeah. Cause obviously you you'd have time to, you know, to, to write. And he died on the fortieth Dr. 40th anniversary. Oh. On the day.
1: Yeah. Apparently yes, he was, um, was his...
0: gonna do another story for Pertwee, but it was shelved for some reason. I was try I tried to find out more about that but I couldn't find mm. it, so um, maybe somebody can put it on the comments and tell
1: tell us more. Yeah, because yeah, in the Pertwee, they tended to use the same writers again and again, didn't they? Mm, yeah, um, so yeah. It would have been unusual uh, to have him in there. But yeah, I mean, if there's any drafts around, you'd think somebody would have adapted it. Uh, um, that big finish I, think, I, think
0: or... it's, I think someone's done it for Big Finish, apparently, but I don't know which story it is. Ah, right. Yeah. Um. Um, I thought there was a nice nod in the modern series because isn't the face of Bo from the ISOC Galaxy? I, I believe so, yes. And it's just, I, I find it amazing that, that you, you have this one story and it, and it still has echoes all these years later. Like, you know, was, um, what is it, 40 odd years later? And there's this mention of it from a writer who obviously absolutely loves this story. Of, mm. um, you know, so and just putting a, a little cheeky mention from the web planet. Yeah,
1: please, those old fans.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> ah, that one, that one passed me by as well. I didn't, I didn't spot that. Yeah. That's a good one. Um,
2: you've got, you've got Martin Jarvis who makes his first Doctor Who appearance, first of three Doctor Who appearances, I believe. Mm, yeah. Mm. He went on to uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs and Vengeance on Baros. He's great as Martin Jarvis. He's brilliant yeah. in anything he does.
0: He's so he's so understated usually, isn't he?
2: He is. He's, he's one of those those great sort of character actors. He's very versatile. Does quite a lot of different things. But uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't actually realise until I was reading about it afterwards.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't notice him, would you?
2: Um, no. <laughs> Not under all that, no. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I've always wondered is um,
0: there's kind of a spooky atmosphere, in, um, especially in the, in the first couple of episodes, um, and I've always liked how the way that Patrick Troughton, in, late in, future, in the future years from this story, made the word alien sound spooky. And it's just the way he used to say it. I do I don't wondered when alien stopped being spooky on the same level as say ghosts and gulls. You know, nowadays it's more probably scientific and you know and um, from from the science point of view, but in this it just all seems are like kind of eerie. Do you know what I mean? It's more atmosphere than um, than scientific basis. I just wondered what you guys thought
1: yeah because some of the some of the stuff isn't really explained is it like the the animus's control over gold how the how and why the tardis console is spinning that that stuff is a bit more supernatural isn't it it's like poltergeist or something exactly yeah uh,
2: because the animus actually moved a whole moon as well
1: ah yeah they said all the moons appeared in the sky that was previously yeah yeah
2: it was able to move the the moons into the closer to the planet for them to escape. So is massively powerful, but yet you still don't know that much about it.
1: No. Yeah, it's
0: um, and that's the thing because I mean, how many in the in the modern modern series, how many things go go unexplained? The only thing I can think of is Gus from um, the Orient Express episode because you never figure out you never find out who that was that was yeah yeah and that's the only one i can think of off the top of my head and there's it's just that i think aliens for us and the concept of aliens has stopped having that kind of supernatural aura Mm. that they used to um and i just wondered if and i'm just thinking you know have we lost something in that you know it's um it's not on a par with ghost stories anymore.
1: Yeah. It's um, quite quite a mass that, isn't it? The, the link yes. of, um, of alien with, with supernatural or sort of folk horror. Yeah. It probably more yeah. of an influence in, in Doctor Who's early days. Yeah. Well, the influences from pop culture would
0: have been quite different back in the sixties to, to what they are now because everybody working on it would have grown up, um, would have been born in what say the, the 20, 1920s 30s mm. 40s you know so they, um, they would have been reading and exposed to different stuff I suppose and nowadays we have these apps, <laughs> these Hollywood blockbusters and what have you and you know it's uh, times times change I suppose
2: mm. I mean overall how what, what were you you know if you would say not necessarily a rating but how would you view it as an episode the story um
0: i think i think it's definitely not one of my favorites i can really appreciate the ambition and i think it's wonderful for that but for me the pacing really lets it down you could really either inject another subplot say i don't know crashed earth chip into it and humans being caught up in it I think it's let down by the TARDIS crew being the only humanoids and I don't think Doctor Who works that well when that's the case and I think there could be a reason why this is the only as far as I know Doctor Who story where the TARDIS crew are the only humanoids Um, but having said that there are wonderful, absolutely wonderful elements to it and it is perhaps one of those as you said, said earlier one of those late night Sleepy ones <laughs> when you want to watch something a bit a bit off the wall, and you don't know what else to put on. Um, for me, it's not one of my
1: favourites, but I can appreciate it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I'm I'm pleased that it exists, both in the, in terms of the making it and that the episodes still exist. Imagine mm-hmm. if all the episodes of this were missing. Like what yeah. you would yeah. you would listen to the audio of it and your imagination would just run riot, wouldn't you? From the from just the narration and because uh, you'd, you'd think how would they have achieved the the monoptera flying around? How would they have done the giant ants? You know, we, if we just had like some telesnaps snaps or something, um, it would be one yeah. that you'd be desperate to see. I think.
2: I, th- I think it's an interesting choice for vinyl, and I and I think. Mm. I for me if you suspend your your cynicism if you if you you know let your imagination uh, run wild I think it's a fantastic episode I you know if you think about the costumes and try to you know ignore the occasional stumble into scenery and stuff mm. I, I think it is a, a, a beautiful episode I agree it's let down by the pace and the, the plot it, it, it's almost like for me could have started with the TARDIS crew crash landing and the three of them, you know, the four of them being separated into, you know, and, and encountering all the different characters on their own term, rather than the whole sort of preamble of the first episode. But I, I think there are some elements of it that I really sort of sat there and went, wow. And you know, that, that for its time and, and, and for this episode is really, really almost modern. Um, but in other times, I was just like, I, "I want to get the plot moving now. I want to find I'm out definitely. exactly what's going on, and I still have questions after I've watched the episode." Mm. But um, yeah,
0: I'd i agree with that, and it's. Um, I did wonder if that was kind of when I was watching it. If that was kind of my spoil because we've been spoiled with this wonderful with the wonderful modern series as it is now and it's always banging really really quick and i did wonder if that was the case so i watched the crusades afterwards and i thought Mm. no it's not that because the crusades is packed full of incident Mm. and it has it ebbs and flows and it has its talky bits and it has its um kind of getting captured escaping getting captured and stuff all those well-worn dot two tropes as they are now but um yeah, it's like con- so. I, I came to the conclusion that in the end, that it wasn't um, an expectation for it to be like the series as it now, as it is now. Because if you also look at the um, at the Time Meddler, that's that that has a nice pace to it, but it is it has lots of tantalising things in it. Like for example, the monk suddenly, you know, whipping out his. Um, his uh, binoculars yeah, to, yeah. To, to look at the ships approaching and you think, oh, you know, and th- there's not enough to draw you in. You know, it's, I can see where the, where the writer was coming from with it,
1: but it's just not quite enough for my liking. Yeah, he's got so many ideas. It would have been really interesting to see him come back and write something else. I think particularly as with Terence sticks a script editor, who yes. you know could make things a lot tighter and, and knock them into shape to see yes. you know because that's what they talk about the the Bristol Boys don't they that they just had this plethora of ideas but they needed Terence Dix to sit down and go like basically right use this this and this and write it like this uh, so it would have been interesting had he written for Pertwee how that would have come out working with Terence Dix
0: yeah I completely agree that is actually. Uh a tantalising thought is that I'd love, love to have seen that. Yeah, you can't you can't beat Terence Dix.
1: No, that's <laughs> Not it. <in> my opinion. <laughs> yeah, he he brought just um, a sheen and a level of quality to to those five seasons um, and a consistency. I think that that you don't get uh, in many other eras. Um because by all accounts he, he did every third draft. Um, you know, put put lines in and, yeah. and just yeah. kind of tidied everything up.
0: Yeah. Well, well, this this, this is the thing because and then it, it, it brings about a consistency, doesn't it? And I'm I'm pretty sure that current showrunners um, perhaps do the same thing in order to yeah. get, kind of like make it make the series nice and even. And um, and Doctor Who being Doctor Who, there's always going to be ups and downs in every season, um, but. Yeah, no, I, I think you 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 you're most likely right. That that would have been lovely to have seen, mm-hmm. and you can imagine kind of a um, uh, boiled down version of the web planet nowadays, but with added with with added extras, you know, like with the CGI Zabi maybe, and um, and perhaps one or two animatronic monoptera. Um, um, but kind of <laughs> reduced to maybe one episode yeah. would have been fantastic.
1: <laughs> yeah. I wonder if the Rings of Akatan is the closest we've had in the modern series. In terms of then being no yeah. there's humanoids, but there's no yeah. human or no people from Earth, is there? Oh, that's a good point,
0: actually. That's a that's a really good thought. Yeah.
2: That didn't perform too well though, did it? No, it was... no I at that it's probably, I was going to say, it's not an episode I particularly like. It's, mm. it's very visual, it's very beautiful. Uh, I find that, in, in some sort of ways, similar to this, it's quite slow-paced and I just can't, mm. I don't know. There's something about that episode, I, I watched it a couple of times and I really struggle with it.
0: And as much as Dot Here is about monsters, I do wonder if it's, really fundamentally to do with us, to do with the human race.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I mean, does it perform does it perform as well with without us? I'm not sure it does. Um it's about um kind of maybe an outsider's view of the human race and um kind of like looking down at us and and um kind of deciding like where, where the good elements of us are and the bad elements of us are. And harking back to the RTD quote about no one cares about what's going on on planet, Zog. Um, and I think maybe he actually had a point. Um, but it, all this sounds makes it sound like I hate the web planet. I actually absolutely don't. It's just you know there's elements that work and there are elements that don't.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think I think Doctor, when you know, it's kind of a well-worn thing to say, but when it brings the unusual into the into the everyday that's when it really comes up trumps, isn't
0: it? Absolutely.
1: Um, the yes, he's sitting on the loo and teasing back. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. That's, that's its, its hallmark really, isn't it? Um, and that's, that's where it really, really pays off.
0: Now, if you had a Zabi invasion of
2: London.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was the thing, wasn't it? They were, they were trying to find, um, a replacement for the Daleks constantly. And the, I think they really yeah. heavily promoted the Zabi along that lines. Um, but mm. you know, they don't talk. they, uh, when they're not controlled by the animus, they, they're described as cattle. It, they don't really have. Um, <laughs> it's shooting themselves
0: in the foot, really,
1: isn't it? Yeah, they they don't have the the legs, <laughs> kind of <stuff. laughs> in sense um, to you know for, for repeat uh, re- returns like that. Um, I think they did do some stuff in the Doctor Who annuals with them, uh, where the uh, they they reappeared, but obviously never reappeared in the TV series. I think there's a big finish as well.
2: Yeah, Eternal
1: there's a. Otis,
2: there's, it's come. It's they, they've sort of come back in the comics, and I believe they've come back in Big Finish as well. Yeah. So it's had
0: quite an influence in consequent years, does not it?
1: Mm.
2: Definitely more so than I realised before watching this again. Mm. And you sort of been through researching it, you realise that it that it that they have carried on. It wasn't just this one episode that. The Animus has appeared in lots of different stories uh, across different mediums.
1: Yeah, the I think the New Adventures they sort of repackage the Animus and the Great Intelligence and the Nesting mm. Consciousness uh, um, as being from uh, the Lovecraft canon, don't they? Of um, is it Old great yeah. ones or something like that? I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the great the great um, Doctor
1: Who tradition of. Um, oh, how do they put it, homages. Yes, Definitely yeah. not nicking stuff, <laughs> <Yeah>. homages. <laughs> yeah, Terence He said all you need in, in science fiction is a, a really good idea. It doesn't have to be your really good idea. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, but that's the
2: thing because, I mean, there's nothing to stop them returning. I mean, the macro returns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And
0: it wasn't even in the archives at the time. Um, they, there was no reconstruction. It's still not in the archives, but there was no reconstruction at that yeah. point. Yeah. But they still brought the macro back.
1: That was properly one for the for the long term fans, wasn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely, it was. And it's just that's just balmy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you even do that? But yeah, it works. <laughs> You
2: can't beat a good idea, can you? Yeah. There'll be there'll be someone with a touch of nostalgia at some point who goes, hmm, "I wonder," and then there'll be a reference, or there will be some sort of uh, a view of of a zombie or some something in a in a bar somewhere. Yeah, mm. yeah, I can
0: imagine the zabi uh, crawling out en masse out of the London Underground.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think it's you got could, that image in my head now. You could CGI hundreds of them, couldn't you? Now that yeah. that would be the uh, that'd be the way to do it, like you say. Yeah, oh, that'd be
0: fantastic. Invasion, invasion from the
1: ISOC Galaxy. Yeah, <laughs> like when you see the the fire ants swarming, uh, swarming across. Uh, you know, like in a nature documentary, you could have. Yeah, t- yeah, say, I'd be swarming across London.
0: I mean, it, but that's the thing because it's there. There is. The world it created was so rich. Though. The background was absolutely wonderful. I mean, the 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 story itself was a bit pedestrian and plodding, but the but you can absolutely imagine the the world of Vortis itself um, with this strange atmosphere and the gal- the Isoc galaxy around it as well. You know, and it's just through uh, what little we know about it, and it's because I think for me it's because it's largely unknown and it just gives it that kind of atmosphere and that wanting to know more so hopefully one day I would happily see a sequel to this quite happily
1: yeah come on Chibnall yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) get get to it come on well thank you very much for for taking the time to join me today guys
0: you're very welcome thank you for having us Yeah.
1: we'll get you back on soon I hope
0: yeah absolutely I'm up for that yeah.
1: Cool. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter?
0: Uh, I'm Uncle Beard1978 and
2: I am Jigster2009.
1: Excellent. You can find all the previous episodes of the Trap1 podcast at trap1.podbean.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter as trap1 underscore. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes and uh, everywhere else uh, if you feel like it. <laughs> 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 Thank you, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>